This audio production is presented by Good Shepherd Presbyterian Church in Ocala, Florida. For more resources, visit us online at gspcocala.com. And this morning's sermon passage is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, 21 through 43. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the preacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kume, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. 
Thank you, Suzanne. Uh, would you please bow your heads and pray with me now? Uh, Father, what a great privilege it is to have your word before us, uh, to have uh, the stories of your son walking on earth, to know that you have not stayed far away, but you have drawn near, so near as to hold our hand. Uh, Father, whatever uh, is going on in our hearts this morning, uh, Holy Spirit, would you come uh, and unveil our hearts, open up our hearts and our ears to hear and receive you, that we would be transformed by the power of your word going out, that we would find life and salvation in you now. Uh, Father, would you be so kind and gracious to all of us as to get me out of your way? Uh, so that we all might behold your glory. In Christ's name, amen. What do you want from Jesus today? Not a rhetorical question, but don't answer it out loud. What do you want from him today? You, you, you've come into this building, uh, most likely you're aware this is a church. And most likely you're aware that this is a church uh, that worships Jesus and that we have a reason that we worship Jesus. And most likely you've come in for some reason. And the question I want you to really wrestle with is what do you want from Jesus today? Perhaps what you would love to have is for him to just fix things. Can I get an amen? amen. Perhaps you would love for him to fix somebody sitting near you. I don't know. Maybe you, you just want him to show himself. If he would just make himself visible so that you would actually see and believe. Maybe you wish that he would stop the pain that you're in right now. Physical, emotional, spiritual pain. Maybe you showed up because you want to learn more. It's a Presbyterian church, so that's probably a high percentage in the room. Maybe you want to walk out feeling better. Whether you are better or not, you just at least want to feel happier. Maybe you're looking for a little bit of glory. You heard he's pretty good with that stuff, and you'd like to join in. Worst of all, perhaps, you want nothing. There would be no greater insult than to come to Jesus and want nothing. He wants you and to give you goodness. He wants to give you healing. He wants to give you life. But he most of all wants to be with you. And so we take up these stories because, goodness gracious, we confuse who he is so easily. We make up our own image of who he is and how he behaves and what he does and why he does. And so he gives us these stories, uh, not things that he made up and passed along, but this is Jesus walking on this planet, interacting with people, and, and we getting to live vicariously through the people who went before us. And so we see Jesus arriving on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He's just been on uh, the Gentile side, right? He's just been over uh, where there was a guy filled with thousands of demons 
who had no business having the Jewish Savior show up and set him free. And now he has set that man free. And the irony of ironies to follow that story with this is that at the end of that story, that man uh, started to get into the boat with Jesus and kind of say, scoot over, man, I'm coming with you. And Jesus said, get out. He said, I'm going away, but you're staying here. You always think Jesus loves to have people come close to him. This guy said, Jesus said, "Mm, you got a job. You know me, now go tell others. And so he crosses the sea, and again, he lands in the boat, and behold, a great crowd is there. If you've ever seen the Sea of Galilee, this, this is both people watching out, trying to see where he's going and get there before he does as they run, and people just, he shows up and they suddenly crowd. Jesus is here. And it seems like he is perhaps teaching, perhaps just engaging with people. Uh, and as the crowd grows, the crowd parts. And a ruler of the synagogue, a, a name man by the name of uh, Jairus. Uh, for some reason, I've always pronounced his name Jarius, which it doesn't, it, it, you can't get that from those letters. Um, I always have fun with names in the Bible because it's been so long since anybody said their name. We don't know how to say it, right? But this guy, he shows up. And he, as a ruler of the synagogue, as a male, uh, is a man of authority, is a man of respect, a, a man of honor, a person in this culture who everybody would have made way for. Also, as a ruler of the synagogue, he is somebody who, in all honesty, may not be the biggest fan of Jesus. Some synagogues Jesus came to and they said, hey, teach. Others they chased him out of. Some, they used the synagogue to set him up so they could trap him. But this man has been moved past all of that, all of the dignity, all the honor, all the power that he has, power to to rule, power to, to exercise his authority in his own life. He has been taken past all of that to the point of desperation by a little girl. It's amazing what can weaken a strong man. His little daughter is at the point of death. And so he, he comes and he falls down before Jesus. I don't know the last time you fell down before somebody asking for something. But clearly he is desperate and he earnestly, meaning faithfully, he is not coming trying to manipulate the situation. He is wholeheartedly at his end and knows that Jesus is his only help. And he says, come, lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. He wants something. He, he knows that Jesus should be able to take the sick and make them well. Why he knows that, we don't know other than the stories of Jesus being passed around, right? Jesus has shown that he can do this. Uh, When he spent the night in Peter's house, right? Peter's mother-in-law was sick. Jesus took care of that. She started taking care of everybody else. The next morning, the house was surrounded. He healed people left and right all day long. People knew that he would do this. And so this man, a man, by the way, who receives a name in the story, unlike the other main characters, Because he's somebody. 
He's known. He has reason to expect that Jesus would respond. And when he asks, Jesus goes with him. And the crowd followed. Which you got to be honest, if you were in that crowd, you would too, right? If you had been standing there and you're all around and you see this happen, you're like, all right, we're going to get to watch Jesus do something. You know, he took care of all my ailments. I don't need anything. I'm just going to watch. And they crowd around and they go with him as he follows Jairus to his house. And in the crowd, we get this interruption of this story. This woman. Which right there sets her apart. Right? You had Jairus, man with a name, man with a place, man with authority, man who didn't need anything for himself. It was his little girl who was sick. And now you have this woman which immediately socially puts her down. But worse than that, she's had a discharge of blood for 12 years. What was to be a sign of life and hope the possibility, right? Every Jewish woman had hoped from the time of Eve that the child they have would be the child that redeems. And for this woman, that has become a curse and death for 12 years. What that means is for most women, uh, there, there is a small time of each month that they are made unclean, according to Leviticus 15. And this woman had been unclean for 12 years, which means no one was supposed to touch her. It means she, anytime she came in contact with another person, defiled them. So not only did she have an ailment, not only did she, did she have something wrong with her body, which if you've ever had anything wrong with your body, you know that's a pretty miserable experience, whether it's a cold or protracted disease. You know the loneliness and the weight of it. She has felt that multiplied because now she has gone from being sick to being sick and having to be pushed out of her community. And not merely for a short season, for 12 years. But on top of that, Mark tells us she has suffered much under many physicians. Healthcare. It's not something we're going to get into right now. However, we'll just state healthcare is not always that great, right? Ever been to a doctor who doesn't know what the problem is? You feel like by now we would know. Would you like to go back to the first century and go see a physician about one of your ailments right now? Right? You'd walk out with one less limb, most likely. 200 years ago, Medical doctors, in doing an examination on a woman, would not look at anything. They would just stand back and not touch. 200 years ago, in Western civilization. You imagine being this woman and going to a physician for help? The shame, the disgrace, and the fact that 
right? You know this. If you, if you go to a doctor and they don't bring a fix, it actually makes it feel worse no matter what. She is worse off having gone to every physician she can and having spent all the monies, which means she's sick, she's unclean, she's outcast, she's shamed, she's hurt, and she's poor. But it gets worse. Because it wasn't all the monies, it was all her money. Which in this place and in this time doesn't mean, you know, she just had her own bank account and now she can go lean on somebody else. When it's her money, that means she is out of her father's care, but also has no husband and no one else she's leaning on. And all the money that she could have is gone. It's perhaps one of the bleakest and most hopeless people we meet in all of the New Testament. And it's a woman, again, that if she walked into the crowd and they knew it, everybody would get away from. And you just got to wonder, it says, verse 27, she had heard the reports of Jesus. What do you think she heard? What would move you after 12 years of desperation, after no one touching you, to make you think, ah, maybe that guy? And so after hearing the reports, she goes, and clearly she's not heard all the reports. Right? I, I often will say that everybody comes to Jesus believing something heretical, and it's part of his grace and mercy. Because she thinks to come to Jesus means to touch and get out of there. Because that's the kind of guy he is. He's powerful. Man, he can fix this. But that, that's it. That's all I need. That's all I want. That's all, he, that's all he wants. And so having heard the reports, which somehow were twisted, somehow were not accurate, she comes up behind him in this crowd. I don't know why, but because of the crowd and because of the fact she's unseen, I just picture this woman as very short. <laughs> I don't mean like very short, but short. She's sneaky. But she comes up in the crowd with the thought in her heart being, if I just touch right, the edge of his garments, which was a sign of, of, of authority, of power. The, the, the edge of the leader's garment, the, the, the tip of the robe. It was right that she was thinking that place, but she was thinking, all I need to do is touch that and I'll be made well. And I love this about the miracles of Jesus. They are... They are so just like, yep, and it was fixed. I don't know about you, but I want like, give me the, this is the detail I want. The same with the crucifixion. Crucifixion is, and they nailed him to the cross. And we want to fill in all the details. This is, she touched, she's good. I want more info. But we don't get it. Because the point is not how it happened. 
The point is not to get caught up in that detail, but instead to get caught up in Jesus. Immediately, one of Mark's favorite words, immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. If you want a memory verse, that might be one to hold on to. You imagine 12 years and you know right away, your body's free. Some of you just sitting in these chairs is miserable. And the idea that in a moment it could go away. And she doesn't. Right? If this was you or me, my guess is one of them. It works! Woo! I'm good! She doesn't. Sorry if I scared you. She, she doesn't outburst with hallelujah. She's like, and I'm out. Right? She did self-checkout. That's, that's what it was. It was <laughs> I'm gone. I just don't want to talk to anybody. Like She's gone. Again, we don't get much of the description. Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out of him. Right? There's so much to this. Again, we, we don't get the explanation, but the reality, the reality that, that Jesus has the power to heal, right? The ways he heals are all, like he, he does long distance healing, right? He, he does all sorts, he can speak, he can spit, he can do whatever he wants to, does, does healings all different ways. But, but he heals and he knows. It's not like he went, oh, I'm weak. Like his, his power didn't diminish, but his power worked and he... The, the nerve endings of his care for us are so sensitive that he can't care for us without feeling it. He knows that he has healed her. He knows that she is relieved. And again, immediately, he turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? Sounds like he likes his clothes too much, right? Right? Who touched? The, the, the way Mark tells that, the, the immediacy, the turnaround, uh, you, you have to imagine everybody's like, whoa. What's your deal, right? The disciples, they look at him, and like, Jesus, I, I know you know a lot, man. You're really talented, but you're in a crowd of people. We all touched you. What are you talking about? I've been rubbing elbows for you the whole time we've been walking here. Like, what do you mean who touched you? Don't ask silly questions. And Jesus stands and what does it say he did? He looked around to see who had done it. Any teachers ever walk into a classroom and that's the first thing you did? You know you walked in and students are like, hmm? And you just start looking around to see who's guilty, right? Jesus looks to see who did it. And we don't know the look on his face, and we can imagine and have fun with that, but we don't need to. All we know is that woman knew he was looking for her. And again, she seems pretty sneaky so that she has to come forward. 
he stops. He stops the whole procession, calls out for who touched him, who touched, right? Not even my elbow, but my garments. I know somebody touched the edge of my cloak. The woman knowing what had happened to her. Again, she had heard reports of Jesus, but they weren't all that accurate because she came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Which, again, think about the whole truth. One of the things I think we get about this woman is that she was incredibly kind. Again, sneaky, but able to make it through a crowd without anybody going, whoa, 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 hey, whoa, unclean. And part of the reason for that seems to be the recognition that if she touches Jesus and Jesus knows she has touched him and they know she has touched him, Jesus is defiled. The hero of the day, the one everybody's crowding around, suddenly becomes get away from him because I touched him. And so she's, she's sneaky about it. And now she begins to tell the whole story. Which all those things about her defilement, about her uncleanness, about her unwelcomeness, about who she is that everybody would have been aware of, suddenly gets unveiled. She doesn't get to just touch, walk away, and be okay. But Jesus calls her forward, and she, she has to recount it all. Nobody's touched me for 12 years. I've got nothing. I have no one. What was to be life has been death for me. And I thought maybe you could fix it. Sidebar. All along, Jairus is standing over here thinking, dude. She tells him, Right? It, it's, it's legal language for us. Told him the whole truth. Which means she put her story out there in front of this crowd. Why did Jesus make her do that? And he said to her, daughter, matters. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. One, she's not his daughter. There's books and stories about that. Nope. Why does he call her daughter? Do you remember what the original problem was? Somebody's daughter's sick. He is taking this woman who has been completely set outside and bringing her back in bringing her back into the crowd, to the community, placing his favor on her, right? Recognizing the healing, but not just the healing, not just the fact that problem was fixed, but in drawing her in and speaking to her this way, which it seems like was a long time because while they were talking, people came up. It, it doesn't seem like he just said, who was it? Okay, it was you, you're healed, see you later. It seems like he sits and engages with this woman. We don't get the whole conversation, but we get what matters. 
And as he does so, she goes from outcast, she goes from hopeless to restored fully, not just her body, but in her entire community. Because the one who has made her well has now proven that she is no longer unclean, but she is set free. And he takes the time to fully restore her, not just fix her problem. Verse 35, while he was speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? All this time, right? Some of you have power, you have authority, you have prestige, you have money, you have clout, and you know what it's like when you face a problem. You know what to do, right? When other people face problems, you know how they can handle it, and you step in and you help them handle it. Think about the times when you have gotten to where this guy is, where you faced every problem and you don't have the answer and what it takes to get you all the way down to go to somebody who quite possibly is your enemy and say, I need your help. To find out he's going to help you and then watch him not help. Jairus is sitting there while this woman, and he may have even said it worse than that, this woman has interrupted the help that I asked for. Right? On a scale of, uh, of urgency, right? If an ambulance comes up and sees a woman who's had an ailment for 12 years and someone on death's door, the ambulance should take B, not A. Jesus is like, oh, B can hold on. See, Jesus knows, unlike this guy, that Taking somebody who's got a cold and making them better is just as easy as taking someone who's dead and bringing them back to life. But to restore someone, right? He could have gone back and found that woman at her home, knocked on her door and said, hey, I know what happened. We're good. But if the crowd doesn't see it, it's not worth it. If the crowd doesn't get to watch him restore her and tenderly care for her, it's not worth it. Meanwhile, Jairus only knows my daughter's dying and you're doing nothing. Maybe you've been there. Looking at Jesus thinking, what are you taking your time on that when I actually have a problem that you have to fix now? And so they come from the house and they say, it's too late. I think there's a jibe in here when they say the teacher I think it's a way of saying he's just a teacher. He's not going to teach her back to life. It's not like he can do anything now. And I love the response, even in the Greek, right? If you have a a Bible that's got a footnote there, it says, uh, Jesus overhearing, footnote, ignoring. (laughs) Somewhere in between. Have you ever done that? Somebody says something and you hear them completely, but you fully ignore it because what they said is inconsequential to reality. He hears it. He ignores it. If you're Jairus, in that moment, your heart plummets to the bottom. All of your hope is drained out. And Jesus looks at him and says, do not fear, only believe. 
when I when I do sermon prep, I try and think how that he, how that sounds when he says it, and I think that's pretty individual. I don't know how Jesus would say that in a way that you would hear it, the way this guy heard it. But what this man heard was not uh, simply uh, "Do not fear, only believe." But he heard words that took him from despair to, all right, I'll go where you go. Instead of just being crushed in the moment, he is able to take those words from Jesus and continue on. But of course, that continuing on means that they come up on this commotion, this wailing, this weeping, this mourning, right? This funeral in the works, which if you're Jairus again, the roller coaster you're on when you finally come up and you, you hear Jesus tell you, do not fear, only believe. And somehow your heart is buoyed in that enough to keep going. And then you see that everybody knows she's dead. And my guess is you're hit with it all over again. You're hit with the pain and the suffering of your loss again. And Jesus speaks to the mourners, the weepers, those who are paid to be there, and those who are actually sad. And he says, what are you making all the commotion about? The child is only sleeping. Now, we use this language. Jesus is not saying, you misdiagnosed. I'm a real physician. She's actually taking a nap. There's some people who, who try and translate it that way, and that's just silliness. He's also not saying, I'm just pretending. I don't want you to know I'm doing a resurrection. Right? There's a reason we put rest in peace on gravestones. It's because we believe it's merely a rest. Another way Christians have put that on tombstones is asleep in Jesus. So that death is merely a nap in the hands of Jesus And he's going to go in there and he's going to say to her, arise, which is not be resurrected. It is wake up. They laugh at him and he put them outside. We don't get to dig into all that. What we get to see is Jesus in his tenderness and his care and his love for Jairus For some of his disciples, right, not all of them get to go. But everybody else doesn't need to be a part of this. We needed the crowd to restore the woman. For the woman to be fully cared for, the crowd needed to see it. But this, nobody needs to know this girl was dead. Her parents do. They need to watch this. They need to see this. Because what he does, he, he, he seems to be acting things out, right? Jesus does this at times. He, he, not like he's pretending, but he puts on display what's going on. So he goes and, and he takes them into the room. Again, another experience of the death for this man. As he walks in and sees his daughter for the first time, no longer sick, but dead. And Jesus walks up to her and takes her by the hand. Unclean. In the moment. And they watch as he takes her by the hand. Right? Again, he doesn't touch her, but he holds her hand. And he speaks to her. 
don't know if you know this, dead people can't hear. Part of the reason he speaks this way is for the parents. See, there's no way this man thought that Jesus would come just because of who he is. And Jesus is beginning to show, I'm not just here for you. Right? When you see this interruption where he stops along his way, it is a way in which he is looking at Jairus saying, Jairus, I love you. You've called out to me and it is my joy to come to you. But don't think for a second I'm here just for you. I am here because of your daughter. It is why he calls that woman daughter. It is why she has been sick for 12 years and we find out this girl is 12 years old. It's because Jesus is saying, yes, Jairus, I love you. But man, do I love your daughter too. The most insignificant, the most outcast I've come to speak to. So he speaks to her and he doesn't say, little girl. But he uses this term of endearment that would have been whatever you call in your home. Honey, sweetheart, darling, little lamb, it's time to wake up. This is that experience when you've been sick for a while and your parents come in with a Nice bowl of soup. Like, hey, you think you got energy to eat? He speaks to her tenderly. And he reaches all the way down into death and gently pulls her up. Like waking up. And immediately she's well. Right? The parents don't even get enough time to say, Jesus, she's gone. Don't talk to her like that. Notice where his attention is the whole time. He is with this little girl. And she immediately gets up and starts walking around, which is the Bible's way of saying she was old enough to walk. And another way of saying she was a 12-year-old girl, so she was probably bouncing off the walls. And if I'm Jesus in that moment, you know what I do, right? You remember those mourners outside? I bust open that door. I did it! She is well. Love me. And Jesus doesn't care a bit about them. He's not doing this so that the crowds will keep coming. Right? In the midst of all of this, what you see most of all is Jesus not fascinated with the crowds, but with the individual. So what does he do? He says, get her some food. Which if you've ever asked for food for somebody else, you know what that means. It means get her some food because I'm hungry too. (laughs) He doesn't just want to fix the problem, but he wants to sit down and enjoy. Everybody else is gone. The parents, I'm sure, didn't leave the room for the rest of the day. They just stared at her. And Jesus sits there with her. Not coming to fix a problem. Not wanting to do a long distance care, but instead to say, little girl, I'm here for you. There's so many things we can dig out of this, and I've taken too much of your time already. I'll give you one, though. Part of the hardness of this story and of your story This woman was sick for 12 years. And no matter what has happened, 
that is now part of her story. It doesn't get taken away. Jairus, he, he wasn't going to have to face this and then Jesus slowed down. And now part of his story is that he will never forget the day his daughter died. And as many times as she could be resurrected, he still has to carry the scars of having lost his daughter. And you look at it and you think, Jesus, why don't you just fix it? Part of life on this side of glory is that we build these scars up, these places where Jesus allows us to suffer and also takes us into suffering. And a lot of times the question is, why does that have to be part of my story? I think what we see in this is Jesus saying, What Paul says in Philippians 3, if you want to know the power of my resurrection, you will know it through a fellowship of my death as well. And you don't get to know the good without experiencing the joy of what it means for me to overcome death itself. But that's this side of glory. Jesus says, I'm taking you to a day where instead I will, I will reverse the time where those wounds become healed, where those scars go away, where every tear is washed away. So that I'm taking you on to new life where the old life scars are faint and faded because mine are still here. Right, Jesus is the one who carries his scars for eternity so that you can find healing for yours. That is who he is. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, uh, grant us the power to call out, to fall down before you, to come to you with our need and trust you with our suffering that we would know what it means to walk with you and have a fellowship of suffering with Christ as we look to glory. In Christ's name, amen.